Hey, everybody, this is Fran Frischella, and welcome to World of Basketball, the podcast that shrinks the basketball globe for you and uh, tries to entertain and, and inform you on the basketball that's happening in the NBA, in college basketball, FIBA, uh, European basketball, you name it, down under in Australia, Asia. We try to just kind of connect you to the basketball globe that we love so much. And we have a very special guest today because as we head towards 100 shows, we have never had a Bahamian on. And today we have the reigning WNBA MVP, John Quell Jones. You're going to really enjoy this episode. She is a bright, thoughtful young lady who is a tremendous basketball player. You'll hear about her journey from Eight Mile Rock in the Bahamas, a place that also spawned uh, a childhood friend by the name of Buddy Heald. And she's got a couple good Buddy Heald stories. And then John Quell came to the United States about 14, uh, high school basketball, started her career at Clemson, finished at George Washington. And she's a rock star in the NBA, now playing for the uh, Connecticut Sun. You'll hear about her experiences playing around the world, growing up in the Bahamas, uh, just lots of fun stuff. Uh, Ezzie McBeggar, uh, who Lauren Jackson, a former NBA MVP, came on our pad- podcast, talked about Ezzie. She is a terrific defensive player, rebounder, playing up in Seattle for the Storm. Uh, Rui Machida is playing for the Washington Mystics, tremendous Japanese guard. Of course, Canada has supplied the WNBA with some very good players through the years. Uh, you know, currently, uh, former Iowa State Cyclone Bridget Carlson, and uh, Natalie Achanwa certainly uh, both have made their mark. They're Canadians. We've had Tisha Penichero on, the incredible uh, Hall of Famer who, uh, from Portugal. So I think you'll really enjoy this conversation with John Quell. Um, remember, if you like what we're doing, you can subscribe to the podcast World of Basketball virtually anywhere right now. Um, wherever you get your podcast, we're pretty much ubiquitous. And if you like what we're doing, give us a good rating and review. Um, We really enjoy this, and uh, we enjoy educating you. Um, We're a week away from the NBA draft. Uh, We are going to have our good friend David Hine on next week, who is going to break down some of the international players who are likely to be drafted. Uh, I'll add my two cents, certainly. And um, David follows these kids from the time they're 14. He knows as much about them as anybody. We also get into a great conversation about next year's presumed number one pick and barring injury, the French youngster, seven foot three, just turned 18. It's scary. Victor Wembenyama. Uh, We get a great discussion about him next week. So you'll learn about a young man that you're going to hear about for the next 25 years for sure. Um, Because he's uh, he's a prodigy in the LeBron, Doncic, Magic, Kareem uh, genre. And you'll learn a lot about Victor next week and uh, also more about the draft. And uh, I'll add my two cents. Um, I will be at the NBA draft covering the draft for Sirius XM radio with the great Eddie Johnson and Justin Termini. We will be in Barclays for draft night, uh, three hour show before, and then we'll interview all the top players. And then I will take off for Portier, France, excuse me, as we take our USA Basketball uh, FIBA 3x3 World Tour team 
uh, to our first tournament. And uh, that should be a lot of fun. I'll definitely report uh, my experiences on 3x3. I'm all into it. Uh, we've got a long road to hoe, but I'm excited about that. So, and also thank you for the Connecticut uh, Sun for uh, providing John Quell uh, with this great interview. They have a Sun, Connecticut Sun basketball camp. If you live in the, uh, in the state of Connecticut, June 20th to 24th, West Haven High School uh, from 830 to 2.30 p.m. That's Eastern Standard Time, of course, in Connecticut for girls grades 3 to 12. If you want information, go to the ConnecticutSun.com for more information on the Connecticut Sun basketball camp. And with that, we bring you this really fun conversation with John Quell Jones. We're so excited to have you on because you have an amazing story an amazing outlook on life, but let's, uh, let's talk currently. You guys, the Connecticut Sun are 10 and four um, tough injury early in the year. Jasmine Thomas went down, um, but you guys kind of reinvented yourself. And what's interesting to me about your team this year, John Quill, you're used to playing with other big players. You, you've done this throughout your career, but, you know, but this year you've got Dewana Bonner, you've got Brianna Jones, Alyssa Thomas, What's it like? I'm a former coach. I'd be trying to figure out what Kurt Miller's trying to do, playing all you guys together. What's that like when you're you, – there was one play I saw earlier in the year where it was an inbounds play. You caught it, dumped it down to Brianna Jones, and the, and the announcer said, Jones to Jones. Yep. <laughs> What's it like playing with other players your size? Um, It's amazing, honestly. I think the big lineup is something that we talked about. Um, It's a lineup that we've kind of gone to – Later on in games, after Jazz has gotten hurt, obviously we miss Jazz. We love Jazz. We want her back as soon as possible. But um, her being out has kind of forced us to do some stuff that we talked about, but that we were hesitant to do. Um, so, yeah, uh, the big lineup is good. I feel like it, it reminds me a lot of like that Golden State type basketball with Draymond pushing the ball and finding people in transition. But I think we're a little bit more... Um, I think it's a little bit more solidified with us because we do have AT at the one, even though Draymond is pushing in transition, he still has Steph and Clay, um, you know, as two guards essentially out there. But with us, we have basically, um, you know, Courtney and DB are guards. Yes. But, but DB is huge. Courtney is essentially like the only like guard guard out there with us. And so, um, the lineup has been successful. The only team that's really been able to match us with that lineup. And, um, even though we played them and we lost to them our last game, Chicago, um, I think we're more comfortable with our big lineup than they are. And um, essentially, I think it was our execution, us taking care of the ball later on that kind of lost us that game. I don't think it was anything that they really did. But essentially, um, yeah, I think that lineup is really good for us. I think it's going to be um, really beneficial for us just to switch up the tempo of the game, give teams other looks, and essentially see what teams can stop it. So I love playing with the lineup. Um, definitely a tough job for Kurt trying to get the ball in people's hands. And um, the good thing about us is that we're, we're all – pretty humble people like we're not the, the type of team that feels like oh I have to touch the ball or I need this many shots a game and I think that's why it works because essentially we're all unselfish and we just want to win um and and that's why I came back to Connecticut it's not it's not to win another MVP it's not to be an all-star again which are all things that I know that I can do again in my career but it's to win a championship and bring a championship to to this organization to this franchise that really deserves one and I feel like we have all the pieces we brought Courtney back you know, to give us that instant offense. And um, this is, this is what we're here for. So that's, that's what we're locked in on. Well, it's funny. Your, your, your stats, your stats are down, but your, your efficiency is up and you're, 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 
I saw one one number where you're the most efficient player in the league, according to you know win uh, uh, affecting winning. But your your stats aren't maybe as prolific as they were last year. But it doesn't matter. You're playing as well as you did last year. Yeah, and I think I think sometimes when you look at the numbers, you see that and like people see that people that look at numbers and they're gonna be like, ah, oh, she's not playing as well. But I feel like it's still we're still feeling out this process. We're still trying to trying to get it together. We're still you know trying to get people the right touches. But ultimately, we're winning now and. Honestly, we're really not winning as much as we we've won in the past, but we're satisfied with the losses that we've had because we feel like in the past we've we've won so many games that when it's playoff time, we kind of get a little bit sloppy with some of the things that we should have been clean cleaning up on or should have been cleaned up already and we lose games in the playoffs or you know series that we shouldn't lose and so for us we're happy with well not happy but we're happy to learn from those losses now. So that later on in the season, we can be a well-oiled machine. And I think Chicago is a perfect example of that. If you look at them last season, they were a team who, yes, they were they were a middle-tier team, but they really hadn't figured it out. But when the playoffs came, they were clicking. It was it was well-oiled, and they peaked when they needed to peak to win a championship. And so for us, we're, we're okay with learning right now so that when it's time to win and it's winning time in the playoffs, we can go ahead and accomplish our goals. Let me ask you this. Um... How does somebody like you, I, I ask, I ask everybody who I, I've coached a long time, how do you get the nose for rebounding that you have? How did that evolve? Obviously, you're a big person. You're very athletic. Where did you get the rebounding instincts from? Honestly, I really, I really don't know for a long time. My cousin is here now. Um, he plays overseas in France and he was, he was telling, kind of talking about my story at dinner and he was like, she played point guard her whole life, essentially like. And she left to go to the U.S. And that's when she went on her growth spurt. And he was like, he saw me at home and I was way shorter than him. And then two years later, he saw me when we were back in the Bahamas. He was like, what the heck? Like, what happened? You know, and he's six, he's six, seven. So he's tall, too. But he's just talking about the growth spurt. So it wasn't like I was a post player my whole life. I think it's just something that comes to me naturally. Um, And, you know, I try to do my work early. It's been a little tougher this season because teams are literally putting people on the court and they're like, look, we don't care if you touch the ball, but your job is to make sure she doesn't touch the ball. You know, so, exactly. Um, you know, I got a lot of bodies around me, but I mean, you know, it comes to the territory. I've, I've earned that respect and I just have to go out there and continue to do what I do. But I think it's instinctual. I really can't say exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Well, I know, I know one thing from knowing your background growing up is you've always had a hunger to get better and work hard and coming from where you come from eight mile rock, two, four, two, you know, we, we talked off air about our mutual friend, Buddy Hill, which we'll get into. Yes. But I got the feeling, Buddy, yourself, there's something like you couldn't wait to come to the I know it was scary and we'll talk about this, but you were driven to come to the United States to get or not necessarily leave the Bahamas, but to take an opportunity and run with it. But you had that toughness, that work ethic instinct going back to the Moon McPhee days. Yes, yes. Look at you. You got all the knowledge. Oh, yeah. So tell me about, you know, <laughs> tell me about that. Like, because there's a certain hunger I saw in Buddy when he was in college. And it's, you certainly have it leaving the Bahamas and coming to the States. Yeah, um, that's just what it is. I think uh, I was telling, I don't know who I was telling this to, but like for us, like me, Buddy and all of the hoopers in the Bahamas, like we didn't really have like that basketball gym. So on the, on our island, we had what? three gyms and then for a long time with us growing up it was only two because the ymca's gym was kind of like under construction so we only had really two indoor gyms and so like the bombers is hot like we were kids of course we were playing outside all the time and 
like the sun wasn't that big of a factor because we were kids. But at the same time, when we had those opportunities to get in an actual gym, it was like, oh, wow, like we really get the gym to ourselves. Like it was unprecedented. So, you know, Coach Maxfield, he would, you know, we would wake up every morning during the week. Uh, we would be in the gym for what, six o'clock in the morning. So we would wake up like three, maybe four o'clock in the morning to get to the gym um, and work out. And we, we love those opportunities because you never got the gym to yourself. So, um, you know, to have those opportunities, it meant, a lot, it meant a lot to us. And so we took advantage of it. And so when I moved to the States, I remember just like walking into the gym for my high school. And I was just like, wow, like my school actually has its own gym. You know, like for me, yeah. that was amazing, you know. And then yeah. I ended up living with Coach Rich and she was the coach. And so a lot of times you would have practice and then she would stay to like do stuff in the gym that we needed to, you know, get done for the season. And so she would be upstairs in the office and I'd just be downstairs. And so there would be like other groups that would come in to work out later on, like, you know, like private workouts and stuff. And I started just like asking them if I could get in, get in on the workouts. Cause I'm just like, I'm here. Like I might as well do something. And just to be able to have that, that quality time in the gym like that for me, it was just like, wow, like this is amazing. And so those opportunities, I think we took full advantage of them because we didn't have those. And so when we did have it, it, it felt like a privilege and we treated it as such. Yeah. But be honest now, you're now one of the best players in the world. Mm -hmm. You ever miss, I, you talked about this once before you, you had a, you had a court by the ocean mm -hmm. and you just feel the, that hot breeze right now coming <laughs> off that ocean. Like that's cause that's yeah. part of where you started. Right. Yeah, most definitely. I think, I think that's one of the reasons why we shoot so well, to be honest with you. Like, it was other factors. Like if you wanted to be a three-point shooter in the Bahamas playing <laughs> of those courts, like you had to you had to factor in the way to breathe, throwing to shoot your shot, to win, to yep. come back to the rim. Like it was it was other factors. And I think, especially with Buddy, I think that's why he's such a great shooter, because it wasn't just like when you're indoors and you're you're shooting with you know everything covered up, it's way easier than shooting with ocean breeze blowing. Like that's completely different. So I mean, I definitely do miss those days. And um, you know, I just I miss the camaraderie. I miss like you know, when you're kids, you don't really know that like your last summer is going to be your last summer. You know, like you you leave and you go to the States and you think that things are going to be the way they're going to be when you get back. But everything changes. And so I think for me, the biggest thing that I understood or I took away from all that is just to like cherish these moments, cherish the present because you never get them back. It's never going to be what it is today. And so I think that's the biggest thing that I miss more than anything. Yeah. So if you if you know, I'm going to ask you about Buddy in a second, but then you must know my guy Tum Tum too, right? Well, I knew Tum Tum. I heard about Tum Tum later on because Tum Tum was from So I think Buddy had more of a relationship with Tum Tum because, like, you know, basketball players in the Bahamas, men's basketball at least, they play in the Hugh Campbell tournament where they compete every year for, like, the best team in the Bahamas. So he probably knew him from there and then AAU. But I honestly heard about Tum Tum when he was already at Michigan State. Of course, okay. I supported him being a Bahamian, but um, I definitely know who he is for sure. Okay. So I got to ask you this, because as we talked off the air, I watched Buddies all four years of college. I, I broadcasted ESPN, and that was my league, right? The Big 12. Right. Um, you actually grew up with him. I mean, you guys, Eight Mile Rock. Mm -hmm. um, did we you went to primary school together, too. I went, I went to school with his sisters. I went to school with him when we were, like, from, I think, first grade, first to six. We went to school. I was, I was in the same set with his sister. I think he was a year, a year older than me at the time, but... Yeah, like, I, I know him. I know his family. Like, I grew up with him. <laughs> so if we had him on our podcast, I can't have him on yet because I haven't figured out how to slow down the, the you know, the he talks so fast. 
Yeah. <laughs> we can because but buddy <laughs> buddy can get three times the amount of words in than anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll we'll figure that out. But I gotta ask you, there was a story I read, I think it was in your play, players tribune article where right. he was late for practice and he came busting through the door and he had yep. run six miles. Yep. And that's kind of that grit that we were talking about growing up where you grew up, right? Yep. Because we were, I remember we were working out and like Coach McPhee, because Coach McPhee was like, he, he's a little softer now that he's up there. In age, but when we were younger, he was tough. He was tough. Like if you showed up to the gym late or showed up to workouts late, you might as well just go back home. You know, like he wouldn't, he wouldn't mess around. So um, I remember we were working out and I, I, I heard Coach like, I don't know if I can say the D word, but he's like, man, like, man, that damn boy. I don't know. What, that, that boy, he's supposed to be here at a certain time. Like he was kind of angry. And then, I just remember like I was doing a drill and I heard the gym doors like swing open and buddy comes and he's like, <sighs> and he's French, like literally like he came out of his shower, like, <sighs> and then coach Max like, what's wrong with you, boy? Why are you late to my workouts? He's like, my God, my bad coach. I couldn't find no ride. So I just ran to the gym and we all just looked at him like, what? And then he came in the workouts and proceeded to work harder than everybody else that was working out. And it was like, dang, that's crazy. Like, like yeah. he's, no, he's different. And so, and that- and that was six miles, right? Six miles. Yep. <laughs> and it was just, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That's and that crazy. is the buddy we know today. Cause that, that, that young man, that's a basketball junkie. He's a basketball junkie. Even like I look at some of his Instagram stories now, like he'll be traveling and going different places and like still getting his workouts in. He's still, he could be on vacation, but he's going to get his workouts and he's going to get his shots up. And that's the type of person that he is. And that's why I really want him to have that opportunity in the NBA because you know, like they say, success is when preparation meets opportunity. And he's the, he's prepared. He's prepared. He just needs the opportunity. Yeah. You know, my son who played with him, I texted him at midnight one night and I wasn't worried about him. And he called me back 15 minutes later and I said, hey, where were you? He goes, we have a freshman that always wants to be in the gym. Mm-hmm. And, I, I always, and he always goes to be his passer. And I said, who is it? And he said, Buddy Hill. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history. Yep. The rest yep. is history because he play, he worked himself into the NBA. He really did. He really yeah. did. Well, that's what people don't realize, right? Like a lot of times you hear success stories and I think it's like anything in history, like the stories get watered down and there's main the story that are told, um, I guess, consistently. And so some of the other parts of the story you really don't hear. And so I think that's the main thing that I always want young people to understand and realize with us is just that there's so much hard work in between the opportunities and the success and, you know, the stories that they hear. And so it's, it's not an easy journey. And to be the ones that stand out and the ones that actually do make it, it takes a lot of hard work. Yeah. All right. Speaking of hard work and making it, your story is amazing because you you go to you get to the states, you go to Riverdale Baptist. Mm-hmm. Your mom went with you to meet uh, Coach Rich. Richardson, mm-hmm. and the the story I read, um, she was a little nervous about leaving you. I mean, you're a 14 year old young lady. Right. 13, I think maybe 13 or 14, yeah, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And so your mom and coach rich, she's uh, by the way, Diane Richardson, congrats. She's now the new head coach at temple. Oh yeah. She's right. actually coming up here tomorrow. So she's, she's flying down to catch our, our next two home games. So she'll be here. Uh, that's great. She was your high school coach, but she had to convince your mom that it was going to be okay. And after a two hour conversation, your mom said, you know, you basically, she didn't say it this way, but you found your second mom. Yeah. Most definitely. And, he felt yeah. sure. She felt comfortable. So most definitely. What was, what was the, what was obviously a huge adjustment and you did not, you did not become this superstar right away. Oh, most definitely. 
you struggled those first couple of years. So coming to the States, coming from the Bahamas, having these dreams, watching the WNBA when you're eight or nine, mm-hmm. what was it like coming to, uh, you know, suburban Maryland? Um, honestly, I just remember, <laughs> I remember getting off of the plane and um, meeting Coach Rich and like, you know, she was like this energetic um, lady. And she's like, because I remember she spoke to Coach McPhee about me. And at the time, Coach McPhee kind of, I wouldn't say lie, but he kind of embellished my height a little bit. Six foot. And then she saw me and Coach Rich was like, you ain't no six foot. Can you bang in the post? And like, this is my first time meeting. She's like, you're not six foot. And she's like hitting me like, can you bang in the post? Like just being funny and being cool as she is. And I just remember meeting her. I'm just like, yeah, this lady is larger than life. And she picked me up from the airport. And she was like, yeah, I came up here to pick you up, but we got practice. And I was just like, in my mind, I'm going from the plane straight to practice. Like, I was terrified. You know, I was terrified. I was excited to be there. I was happy, but like, I wanted to be able to be good enough to stay. Like, I didn't want to go to practice and they'd be like, oh yeah, like, nah, we can't do it. Like, she, she got to go back to the bomb and she's not ready, you know? And so um, I remember being terrified and I remember we drove and for me, it, the, drove, the drive felt like, it felt like hours to me because I'm in the Bahamas. Like everything, if you, if you want to drive from the east to the west, you may have to drive 30 minutes, if that. So probably driving maybe 50 plus to get to Riverdale. And I was just like, ooh, it feels like forever. And we finally got there. And I remember, like, I had my clothes to change for practice and I went into the bathroom and you probably read this part too. And I was just like, I was already nervous. And then I took my, my clothes off to put my basketball stuff. I'm like, oh no, like, first of all, I might not be good as these girls. And then I'm coming out of the, out of the locker room being ashy. Like, I need some lotion. I look terrible. So I remember, like, looking in the mirror and I just, like, splashed water on myself to, like, run out there to meet everybody. And, um, yeah, I think the rest is history. I remember, like, having a... It was an okay practice, and at the end of practice, I made, like, a really good move, and everybody's like, ooh, like, that was a good move, and, like, you know, it kind of made me feel like, okay, yeah, like, I fit in with these girls, and um, after that, I went home with Coach Rich, and her and my mom, we had a conversation and all that stuff like that, but, yeah, it was it was, it was was terrifying at first, I'm not going to lie, but, um, yeah, my first year as I played JB, I was, you know, JB ninth grade, JB, JB and varsity 10th grade, um, but not really getting off the bench that much in 10th grade, just a little bit here and there, and then, um, the season between the summer between 10th grade um, and 11th was when I made that big jump of playing AAU and just really just feeling more comfortable out there and, and really having that confidence to know that I could play with the USA players, essentially. Um, yeah. So for me, I think that that AAU summer was like really huge for me. You were you were with her for a total, I think, of seven years or so, because she she wound up being an assistant at GW. You. You went to Clemson first because Coach McPhee's daughter was there. Coach O's now having great success at Ole Miss and doing well. And then, uh, but Coach Rich, um, she's obviously been successful in you know as a head coach now. What was it? um, And she was a successful businesswoman too. Like it's it's not like she was just like a lifetime college coach, phys ed major. She's a very successful. What? But what made you've played for really good coaches? What made her? someone that you would just gravitate to like for all that time? I think for me, it's just that I'm a t- I'm the type of person who I'm empathetic and I'm a really genuine person. And so for me, yes, basketball is going to be basketball and like coaches need to know that stuff X's and O's wise. But for her, what I got from coach Rich is that she's just genuine as well. Like she, she makes sure that you're good as a person. And like, I've seen so many players, especially when I was living with her that like, had been long gone out of her program, like 
completely finished college, like, you know, living regular lives and like their, her relationships with them never changed. Like it was always that mother role, um, that person that they went to for advice. There was always people that she was, she was connected to in the basketball community or business communities that like had job opportunities. And she was always plugging her players in or people that she knew from the basketball community in. And she was just always just genuine and caring about everybody that, you know, was in her life. And so for me, I think that was the biggest thing. Like I already knew she was a good coach, but the fact that she was a good person, um, that meant more than anything to me. And so when I decided to leave Clemson, I, I didn't want my college career to be um, one that was, oh, she went here and she transferred, she went there and she transferred. So I knew that when I left Clemson, wherever I went was going to be the last place, um, you know, that I would that I would go. Like, I didn't want to go anywhere else. I wanted to go somewhere and finish my career there and, and be happy there. And so, of course, there were some big name schools because at the time, um, you know, later on in my in my high school career, they kind of changed my my rankings and I became like a top 15 player. But at that time, I had already committed to Clemson. So when I was leaving, there were some big schools that were trying to get me. But for me, I just I wanted to go to a place where I knew the coaching staff would look after me. Um, you know, I had friends in high school that were still in the DMV. And like I said before, I just wanted to be a place where I would be for for the next four years, essentially three and a half years. And and that's what I knew that I was going to get out of GW and especially out of Coach Rich. So. Um, for me, it was a no-brainer. So you're lucky. Yeah, we we mentioned two four two earlier, but you dropped DMV on me, so mm-hmm. you know, you know, we're talking about a hotbed of basketball. That whole of area, of course, men and women. So you you bought in the KD stuff and all the all mm-hmm. the DMV uh, alumni. Let's just say yes, yes. <laughs> I'm happy that they that they've invited me into that and brought me into that because I definitely do, I definitely do feel like a Bahamian DMV baby, like. It's not just one or the other. Of course, I'm a rep, I'm going to rep the Bahamas, but you know, being at Riverdale, being a part of those rivalries with Spalding and Holy Cross, and playing those teams there, and like you know, having that bragging rights of like being the best in the DMV, it meant a lot because there are so many hoopers. Probably the majority of them that played in the DMV that went on to play Division One basketball, and so that's how great it is in that area. And um, I'm happy to be a part of that. I'm proud to say that uh, you know, like I'm a part of that basketball community. Yeah. Uh, we, we're not going to keep you long because you have other things to do and you're in the middle of your season. But you were drafted in the, in the WNBA, I think it was a sixth pick overall, if I'm not mistaken. Was it the sixth pick? Sixth pick, yeah. It's like, just like Buddy. Um, but, but the thing about what people don't realize about um, the WNBA is most of the better players have to play around the world in order to make the, the money. Um, and I know you guys are fighting all that and the travel and everything, but it seems to me uh, South Korea – China and Russia has shaped you as much as coming to the States, being from the Bahamas. So I got some curious things. It seemed to me like South Korea, where you did all that running, that, that had to like, in a weird, cause I know the coach didn't speak English and, but that, that, that culture of like the Asian basketball, a lot of conditioning, a lot of running. Did that change you? I mean, you were a track person growing up in the Bahamas. People don't realize it's the number one sport. Did you um, did you benefit uh, by being in a crazy conditioning environment when you were in South Korea? Most definitely, most definitely. I think for me, um, it was it was the hardest. I it was the hardest coach I'd ever played for, and that's and that's with college conditioning being accounted for. Like, and college conditioning is no joke. But Korea was Korea was tough, and our coach he was tough and. He would like constantly call my name. I had a vet that played on the team with me, my, my other American, Monique Curry. She played in the league for a number of years. And 
like the coach was calling my name so much that she had to turn to him and say, like, you got to stop calling her name. Like, we understand that you want her to do certain things, but, you know, like you're calling her name so much. She can't even play. The, she can't even play basketball right now. Every time you run up, you're calling her name, you know, like, like that's how, that's how much he was on me because, you know, he saw what he saw what I could do. And he definitely wanted to mold me. And so I could definitely I, I have to say that it definitely did shape me because, you know, that first year I didn't play much. Everybody that got drafted on the Suns on the Sun team that year, we didn't really have those opportunities. Um, but the next year, when when I did have those opportunities, I ran with it. And it was definitely in no small part thanks to him because he did he did a, a really good job with me and I was ready to play. But I think it wasn't just him. It was also the confidence of like playing against other WNBA players over there, because when you think about the way the teams are set up in Korea, you have you have four um, four Koreans and then you have one one American. So essentially you're playing against you're going up against that American like it's one on one, essentially like the other Koreans do their job, but you got to score and you have to stop the other WNBA player in order for you to be successful. And so me playing in those situations, it was like, okay, like she's been in the league for three, four years. And like, like I'm giving her some buckets, you know, like I'm, I'm holding my phone. I'm, I'm rebounding. I'm running. Like I can really do this. You know, like I have a, I have a future in this league. And so that was when I really started to build that confidence. And then um, that translated to the WNBA season. And we had a game against Chicago and I just remember like playing against them and I had a great game where like everything just fell into place and it just felt like it just felt seamless. And I was just like, yeah, I'm here to stay, you know, like, and so it was definitely Korea for sure. Korea was that, was that confidence booster. It was that conditioning um, and just the mindset. Uh, China was more of just, it's the same thing. China was just like Korea. You got to China face and then you had another, you had another American that you have to play against and you got to do your job and be, and be productive. Um, so those two places for sure. And then Russia was just more of me playing with other great players. Um, yeah. Just being, you're on, so- you're on an all-star team. You're, you're on all-star teams over there. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me, let me ask you about that. Um, I want to talk about Russia at the, at the very end here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you are a very thoughtful person away from the court. Um, uh, mm-hmm. you say your mind, you, you have a lot of excellent, uh, opinions, um, how much did you? How much have you grown as a person? Because you you've constantly had to get out of your comfort zone. How has that shaped you as a human being? Man, it shaped me. It shaped me a lot, honestly. Um, whether that's personal life, um, just being able to you know think outside the box. I think a lot of times when you live on an island, you have a lot of I don't want to say a group mentality, but a lot of the mentality of the of island people is kind of boxed in a little bit. And you don't see that until you leave the islands and you kind of experience other cultures. You see the way other people live, um, you know, experience their traditions. And so um, I'm definitely more cultured. You know, I love Korean food now. I eat kimchi. I understand that American Chinese food and traditional Chinese food is completely different. Um, you know, I respect those cultures and, and what those people, you know, bring to the world. And I think, um, when I when I have kids one day, I definitely want to, want them to be well traveled and to understand different cultures and stuff because I think it really does make you a better person. So, um, you know, still trying to, uh, I guess, you know, I increase my footprint a little bit in terms of like social issues and um, you know, getting back to the Bahamas and reaching out to kids and stuff like that because I really don't have those opportunities for playing overseas. But um, you know, I just I want to continue to use my voice and continue to grow in that area as well. Yeah, that's 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 sensational. Um, a number of American players or players that have come played in the States, played professionally, 
they play around the world. Uh, in your case, in the WNBA, as we mentioned, um, a lot of you guys, because of the salaries of the summer summertime WNBA, you make a lot of money playing overseas. And Russia is a place that you just returned from. Um, and I know I know how it is knowing the knowing the culture over there, how nice a lifestyle it is. But you just went through something that uh, probably had to just shake you to the core. Um, leaving Russia, finally getting to Turkey, then getting back home to the Bahamas. Just to just describe what you saw, what you're watching on the news, and how it's affecting you now. Honestly, when I was in Russia, if it wasn't for news, um, you know, media outlets, uh, news outlets, if it wasn't for family members, like if for some reason, let's say I was living back in the day before there was the internet and I was just living in Russia and I did not know what was happening politically, I would have had no idea what was going on. I really wouldn't have because our lives essentially are kind of insulated too. Like in Russia, we have drivers and, you know, we travel on a team plane. We don't even fly commercial. Um, we live in, in a really nice apartment complex. And like our lives are essentially insulated. And then, you know, we get, we get paid in US dollars and you know, the price of things in Russia is like, you know, our money goes such a long way because we're getting paid in USD and the price difference is insane. And so, we're not really feeling any of those things that a regular Russian person would feel, you know, in times of war or anything like that. And so we really wouldn't have known. But I think for me, the biggest thing, like when I tweeted that thing about finally getting to Turkey, what I couldn't say at that time was like, I had to leave BG, you know, like we had to leave, we had to leave teammate. And I think that was the biggest thing. Like, yes, the travel was tough and we had to fly commercial and we wasn't sure like if our flight would make it in time. And then we had to change our flight when we got to Turkey because we had, we had to get, we got rerouted so many different ways so that we wouldn't, you know, cross certain airspaces because we were essentially in a Russian aircraft. And so our, the airspace was close to us, but the hardest thing about all of that was not the travel. It was just knowing that you had a teammate that is literally one of your closest friends and um, you know, someone that you spent essentially every day with overseas that is not coming home with you. And then the world doesn't really even know what's going on with her. Like she's she's locked up and she's detained. And like, I was one of the first people I'd really found out. Like she she texted me, she messaged me. And so like, I knew before even some of my Russian teammates knew, you know? So it was, it was just heavy on my heart. And I think that was the main thing about it being stressful was just knowing that we left her behind. And I couldn't put that in my tweet because the world didn't really know then, but now I can talk about it, you know? You know, um, when we're talking about Brittany Griner, when you say BG, I want people to you know know. And you're right. I don't think that's getting enough coverage. My personal opinion, and I don't know how if you can share. I don't. I don't want to get you in trouble. But my personal opinion is, it's it's very easy for her to have been set up um, as an Amer as an American and someone to be set made made an example of. And I'm wondering if you had an opinion about that. That's my personal opinion that she could have easily yeah. been set up. And for sure, I mean. It's during the time of war. It's during the time right. of war. So um, the reason, there was a reason why, um, you know, the State Department told Americans to get out. Like, there was a reason why we as athletes didn't feel comfortable being there at the time. because, you know, Russia was at war with the USA. And whether it was American citizens, me as a Bahamian citizen, our coaches, um, our assistant coach and our head coach was Spanish. And, you know, everybody was basically showing their, showing and sharing their support for Ukraine. And, it makes you a target. It makes you a target. And so, um, you know, BG is, is no different. It's no different. And so I feel like if it was an NBA player or, an, or an NFL player, a trade would have already happened and they would have brought, you know, that player would have been home by now. And so 
we're just fighting to try to get BG home, you know, where she where she belongs and, and where she needs to be and, you know, and then just go from there. But the biggest thing I think about is just her being safe and then obviously her mental state after that, because that's such a traumatic experience that, you know, how is a person after that? Um, and, you know, and then I start thinking about it and I'm like, you know what, I'm going too far. The first thing we need to do is get BG home. Right, exactly. Well, maybe we'll bring some more uh, awareness to her situation because I think you're right. I, I watched... I watched her play quite a bit in college covering the big 12. And um, mm. I, I think people have almost forgotten about her in some crazy way. If, you're right. If this was an NBA player, you know, this would be uh, international news every single day. Right. Right. There's no question about it. All right. Let's get back to a happier time. And a final question I have for you. All right. Recently, I'm not sure which all-star game it was, but you're in Vegas with your mom. Mm. You're at a Nike store. I got goosebumps because I love going to I love I love going into a Nike store, especially when I can get free stuff. Okay, <laughs> but you're 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 in Nike Town. You're in Vegas, and you pop up on the big screen there. Picture of you at fourteen, or picture of you in your Connecticut Sun uniform, and you and your mom started crying like couldn't stop crying. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think we <laughs> we went to the Nike store. Uh, this wasn't the last All Star, but the All Star before last. Yeah. Um, we went to the Nike store and I think they, they had told us that like our shirts and stuff would be in there, but we really didn't, we didn't know that like, you know, on the screens outside the Nike store, which is essentially like a jumbotron that they, they all the Nike athletes and like their, their pictures, like from their younger days and then them being in the league and kind of just, you know, what it means to, to be a professional athlete and like our journey to WNBA. And so, um, you know, when we saw it, we just, we couldn't believe it because it just, it showed the journey and, and, in a, in a few snapshots, it showed the journey and it showed how far I'd come. But, you know, with with it being my journey, it's not just my journey. It's the journey of, of everybody that's ever supported me, my loved ones, um, my friends, my support staff. And so it just it was very emotional for us to see, to see that on, on a Nike store of all places. And, you know, it's something that we always wore when we were growing up. I always wore Nike shoes. And, you know, I, I was a Nike athlete before I was a Nike athlete. So to see that you know, being represented and, and displayed, it meant a lot to us. And so um, it was definitely a blessing. And I always say, like, I understand that my talents and my gifts come from God. But, um, you know, after, of course, acknowledging God and him giving me these gifts and talents, I always say that, like, basketball has just done so much for me and opened up so many doors that I never expected it to open up. And when we were kids growing up, they would always say, like, this, this ball can take you around the world. And for me, I just love playing basketball. Like, of course, I heard what they were saying, but I was just like, ah, I want to go to the U.S. to play basketball. I didn't know that it would then take me to China and Korea and Russia. And, and then, of course, all the all the places that we played for EuroLeague, Italy and France and, you know, Prague, Czech Republic. So, you know, I've, I've seen so much of the world because of the sport. And um, I never expected it to be that way. And I, I'm very appreciative of it. And I try to I try to appreciate every moment because um, it's, it's a blessing. It's a blessing for sure. Yeah, well, you're in the middle of a great career, and I have a feeling you're going to do wonderful things even after your career. And uh, I told you, you're our first Bahamian on World of Basketball, You and you have educated us, which is what we try to do. We try to bring people around the world. And to your point about what you said about traveling, we shrink the globe here. Mm-hmm. And we get, we, get to talk, we get to talk about people's journeys. And John Quill, your journey's fabulous. Keep it up. Uh, you're in the middle of your season. You're in the you're in the mix. Las Vegas is pretty good. You just split with them. Chicago's been a little nemesis here the last couple couple of games. But, <laughs> but 
<laughs> yeah, but listen, we're rooting for you. And uh, when I when I see your man, Buddy, here in a few weeks, I will make yeah. sure to tell him that you sent your best. For sure, for sure. I appreciate that. When I talk to him, I will tell him the same from you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Many thanks to John Quill Jones. I, I know you enjoyed that conversation. She is a very engaging young lady from the 242 which is the area code for the country of the Bahamas. And uh, many thanks to her. She got me hungry for some conch fritters as we were talking. Uh, Hey, again, I want to just remind you that the Connecticut Sun are having a basketball camp June 20th to 24th at West Haven High School uh, from 8.30 in the morning to 2.30. That's Eastern time, obviously, uh, for girls grades 3 to 12. For more information, go to the Connecticut, excuse me, Connecticut Sun Dot com. Uh, next week, we'll have a great draft preview of international players from my good friend David Hine of High News and taking the charge Substack. There's nobody I value uh, their opinion more on these young guys because he's seen them from day one, from the time they play uh, in the uh, junior tournaments at under 16s. And so we'll have a good conversation there. I'll be in New York with Sirius XM Radio. Uh, with the great Eddie Johnson and the great Justin Termini. We'll be at Barclays for draft coverage. And then I'll head to Europe uh, for FIBA 3X3. And it doesn't matter where I am, New York, Portier, France, Kosovo, here in Colorado Springs, where I make my home. No matter where I am, you know I'm going to bring you to another place next week in my world of basketball. World of Basketball is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Chris Tyler. Sound designed by Robert Moore. A special thanks to Sirius XM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Sirius XM Podcasts.